Okay, we want to begin tonight is Thursday the 12th of March. And um, last time, as you remember, we completed the first step of the Mishnah with all the words and the translation, and we even began the comprehension. Even began the comprehension as well. So, what we want to do now is... um, we want to review that step, and of course we want to add the explanation sheet at the end, okay? And we want to point out certain things uh, about the step that we need to point out as well. Okay, good. So we're going to start out uh, just by reading from the Mishnah. Let's put away all the word sheets and so on and so forth. And we're going to try and do it straight from the Mishnah. We're going to try and read one word at a time and translate it as we go along. Okay, um... David, let's begin. Right from the start. Talmud. First, first word is Talmud. Are we, are we at uh, section two? Well, we want to read it from the from the, straight from the Mishnah without the paper. Yeah. Okay. Right at the beginning of the Mishnah, starting with the first word. Elu. Yes. Uh, Elu. Uh, well, well, let's translate as we go along. These mitzios finds are are uh, shelo his, but elu and these chayiv 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 these uh, he must he is obligated lucharis. Uh, uh, he must announce. Okay, to announce. Okay, good. So that's the introduction to the Mishnah, as we saw the very first time that we were learning together. Uh, these fines are his, and these he is obligated to announce, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, So, and as we pointed out that time, that this Mishnah, this is a heads up on the Mishnah, and what we're going to be speaking about in this Mishnah, and really the whole chapter, the whole parak, we're going to be speaking about the, the halacha of returning lost, Objects and the, all, all the parameters of them. Okay. All right. Now. Um, it says right here what you, what's the Right, right, about. exactly. Now, and as we mentioned the first time, Elu These fines are his, and these he is obligated to announce. And we mentioned which one of those is the more surprising one. Shalom. And why is it more surprising? Because the Torah, says. Torah says to return it. Right. Yeah. Now, and, but we also explain why it might be his sometimes, in a general way. Why might it be his sometimes? In general. No, Simon. Well, I'm not that, that's a specific, but in general, why might it be the person's? If, if the Torah says return it, return it. So why, why will it be his? That's also like a, like a, a, a prat, like a detail, but I want to know in general. We don't know the owners. The reason is because... It's outside the parameters of the Torah. In other words, the Torah says when you find a lost object, here's your guidelines. If you fit within those guidelines, do it. But sometimes there's legal loopholes that you're outside those guidelines, right? So then if, you don't, if, it's, not, if it's outside the guidelines, then it's shalom. What we're going to establish over here are what are the guidelines? Because we know that the Torah itself, the Chumash, is written very cryptic, very short. We talked about that too. So that we need explanation, right? So, but if you look in the Torah, there's a whole section about turning lost objects of three psukim long, a lot there, but there's a lot that's not there, that's really there, through different drushes, through ways of learning out and stuff like that, right? 
So we got to set the parameters. So after the parameters will be set, what will happen is we will find that sometimes textbook cases you got to return, and sometimes there are cases outside of what's being spoken about that you don't have to return. Okay? Now, here's a good question. Um, if, if we said that the more surprising one is the ones you're allowed to keep. So what's the more not surprising ones? The ones that you have obligated to return. So, if uh, there is to be an explanation of both, we're going dis- to discuss both. We're going to expl- explain the parameters of not and when you do have to keep. Which one do you think that the Mishnah should have be? If it's going to do both, it can't do both at the same time. So which one should it have started off with? The ones that are clear in the Torah or the ones that are not clear in the Torah? Mm-hmm. Clear in the Torah. First you start with what it says, set the parameters down, and then we'll work on going outside the parameters, right? But, but, so, the, mission, but the mission goes, goes a different order, goes in the other order, so you, you might assume that it'll start with, with Shalom because the mission starts with Elo Mitzios Shalom. Okay, but see, that's, that's actually part of my question. Now that we're, we're going to start with Elo Mitzios Shalom, so in the introduction we're going to start with Elo Mitzios Shalom. But, you know, when Rabbi Yonah Nasi wrote the mission, he could have written the introduction the, the opposite way. Elu chayv l'hachriz, Elu metziyah shalom. Elu chayv l'hachriz. Just tell me what says. That, tell me the straight stuff first, and then we'll go into the extra stuff afterwards. It's sort of like starting backwards over here. But does, yeah, it, does, it, does it mean that we're going to talk about the exceptions? Where you can yeah, Elu metziyah shalom. Right. And then and we're talking about exceptions. And everything else you just return. No, because uh, uh, the, the next Mishnah... After the Gemara is done explaining this Mishnah, there's a sister Mishnah, the next Mishnah, and that one is going to talk about Chayv Lahachris. So is there like a gray area? There's a third subset which doesn't fall? Not if really. something doesn't fall either here or no, there? No, 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 it'll be either or. It'll be either or. But I'm just saying in a general way, you would think that if you were constructing this thing, if you were the engineer behind the Mishnah, you would start with the more obvious first, and then you would digress to the stuff that's mo- that needs more explaining, that's outside the parameters. That's how you would think to do it. Right? And here it sounds like we're doing it backwards. So the commentaries do ask this question, because it's a systemic question, and uh, they give an answer that this, the answer to this question is really based on a Gemara someplace else. Surprisingly enough, this is interesting, that it's just the opposite. Things that are learned out through drushes, in other words, things that aren't so simple, but they have to be learned out and expounded and explained and all that stuff, to the people that were learning, those were more precious to them. Stuff that you have to really delve into and, 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 and explain and all that was more precious to them than the obvious. So since that portion of the Torah was more exp- uh, precious to them, says the Gemara over there, and we apply it here, so we start with the less obvious first, because that's the stuff that you have to uh, explain and go, and, and go into the depth of, and then we go to the more obvious. So in other words... What we're looking at in this Mishnah is not an exception to a rule, it's the rule. That's the systemics of the one who wrote the Mishnah, which is Rabbi Nasi. He wrote all the Mishnahis, all the Mishnahis. So whenever we come across one of these rules, we've got to be aware of it because it's not going to only pop up here, you're going to see it all over the place. Okay? When, you say pro- 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 when you say precious, you mean precious to them, you mean their self-interest. Is that what you're talking about? Not so much self-interest, but because it, ha- it takes more scholarship, to get, scholarship. It, to get to where you're going, so therefore, it had more of a of an importance to them. Not that it's not all important. It's all it's all important, but this was special. 
there might be a practical reason as well, because what it's saying is, here are the exceptions, everything else you must announce. Yeah, that would be good if there wouldn't be a sister Mishnah to this Mishnah explaining this, the obvious stuff also. You know what I'm saying? Then we could say, if that would be it, that'd be fine, because everything else is default. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work that way. There's a separate Mishnah that devotes itself to this subject, and there's a separate Mishnah that devotes itself to that sub- Mishnah, to that subject. So you would think that that Mishnah should be first, and this one should be second. Okay? Okay, very, very good. Now, all right? All right, let's move on inside the Mishnah. That was good. Um, last word on the first line. Let's continue, please. Rafael. Elu, these, these are mitzies, these, these. these mitzies, uh finds are shaloh, his matzah, matzah he found, peros, fruits, mefuzarin, uh, scattered ones, maot, money, mefuzarot, scattered ones. Okay, that was terrific. Um, Shimon, let's continue. Karikos. <coughs> uh, Small bundles of Small wheat. Small bundles of wheat. Berushus arabim in the public domain or public place. Uh, uh, that first little letter is not part of the word. That's that's uh, a sign for something. Vagule. Vigule. Okay. Good. Um, Round cakes and and round cakes of of good uh, devela uh, press figs good um, karikos kikaros kikaros uh, and loaves. There's no vov. Loaves shell of nachtom nachtom of, of of a baker. Okay, terrific. Yosef S. Strings, shell of dagin fish, the hot tea and, and, and cut pieces, shell of basar meat, the gize, and shearings of semer wolf. The hal kuchin. Yeah, there's no vov, just hal kuchin. The ones that are taken. Good. Me, ma, me, Okay, terrific. Uh, Kiva, let's continue. Well, each word. Vanitse. Vanitse. I know, but I said to get all remember it. Vanitse is is um. Don't don't tell me is is a small bundle of and bundles of good. Pishton, which is flax. Good. Ushonos. Um. And. Uh, oh, oh, tongues. Good. Shell argamon of shell, shell of of argamon, which is uh, don't tell me. Uh, um, it's um, oh, oh, it's a uh, pure dyed wool. Pur- purple. Purple. Oh, purple dyed oh, wool. Okay, uh, very, very, very good. And the person who I copied from it's a pure. Okay, but but correct that because it is purple when you get a chance. Okay, uh, that was great, Shmuley. Let's continue. Haray, behold, Elu, these. These are. These are. Shalom, his. Divrei, Rabbi Meir. Divrei. Divrei, the words of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir. Okay, very, very, very good. Okay, good. All right. 
So, um, what we're looking at over here is, that's the end, of, as we said, that's the, the first part of the Mishnah, okay, Divra Rabbi Meir. And we're looking at the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who's giving us ten examples of things that a person is allowed to keep. Okay? All right. Um, all right, so what we want to do right now is, well, there's a little bit of something to discuss in a moment, but I'd like to get it down on the explanation sheet. So let's do that first. So let's uh, open up the notebook to the explanation sheet. Let's try and take it out if we could. It's uh, where it says page number one. It's in the second section where it says page number one. And we're going to be filling in where it says a big uh, number two in brackets over there. You have it? You, you will need this. In second section, not Can the word section. The next yeah. section of the binder. There you go. Where it says number two. Yes. Uh, in case anybody was uh, not present when we did this exercise the first time, the, p- the point of this, what we're about to do is as follows. Uh, we, this is called the, 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 the comprehension part, which is the main reason for the learning is comprehension, right? And what we try and do here is write out very clearly the step that we've been working on, okay? Now, we're not going to translate, just do a translation. We did that already, right? Mm-hmm. But after it's all settled and everything like that, we want to just restate it clearly so that technically somebody who can't even read this because they don't know Hebrew could read this and they'll know exactly what we're talking about. So we want to just make it clear. It doesn't have to be long, but it has to be clear, okay? So that's what we're tr- get, uh, try and get ourselves to do. All right, so where it says number two, uh, you can see that there's that big, bolded black line. So the first thing we always have to do is identify the step we're about to write as a question, statement, or answer. Because when the Gemara teaches, it's, it, it teaches in that manner. It's either asking a question, giving an answer, or making a statement, right? Okay, so uh, this one that we're about to write, which is this step that we just did, would you label it as a question, statement, or answer? Statement. Statement. Well, in order to be an answer, it means it has to follow a question. And no, nobody asked any questions so far. Okay. By and large, Mishnayis are statements. Gemara is the really when the challenge stuff comes. That's when we get into the questions and the answers. Uh, uh, however, there are some exceptions in Mishnayis. There are simple questions too, but mostly it's a statement. Okay, so to the right of the number two on that line, let's write the word statement. Uh, and just a heads up also, there's a, a little bit of room on page number two to finish this step before number three, so you can see over there. All right? Okay. Can you announce the next line? Yes. Yeah, we'll do that. Yes. Okay. Uh, Let's begin. The Mishnah now continues. By giving... Ten... Next line, examples of cases where the ruling is next line, that the finder may keep The lost object, colon. 
Next line, if a person finds, colon, Next line, one circle. Scattered fruits. Next line, two circle. Scattered money. money. Great. Next line, three circle. Small bundles of wheat. Wheat in a public domain. Public, public place. place. Great. Small bundles of wheat in a public place. Next line, four circle, round cakes of pressed figs. Next line, five circle, loaves of a? Baker. Baker, great. Next line, six circle, strings of fish. Next page, top line, seven, cut pieces of meat. Next line, eight circle, shearings of wool as taken from their, T-H-E-I-R, province. Next line nine, bundles of flax. flax. Good. Next line ten, tongues of purple dyed wool. Okay, and on the last line, it, it, there's a little space on the last line, and if you have to divide this up, it's okay. The Mishnah concludes by saying, colon, These are the words of Rabbi Meir. Okay, let's begin by reading that back. Uh, Yitzchok. <coughs> what we just wrote? Yeah, what we just wrote. Oh. <coughs> the mission now continues by giving ten examples of cases where these rulings... Where the... Oh, where the ruling is that the finder may keep the lost object, colon. Continue. Continue. If the person finds, colon, one, scattered fruits, two, scattered money, three, small bundles of wheat in a public place, four, round cakes of pressed figs, five, loaves of a baker, six, strings of fish, seven, cut pieces of meat, eight, shearings of wool, 
taken from a, as taken. Oh, as taken. It's there. <laughs> as taken from um, their province. Nine bundles of flax. Ten tongues of purple dyed wool. Uh, the the Mishnah concludes by saying, colon, these are the words of Robbie Mayer. Okay, terrific, terrific. Okay, so this is just a restatement in our own words of what we just learned in the Mishnah, right? This one's pretty obvious and straightforward, right? Okay, now, uh, before we move on to the next step, which is really where we're holding right now, uh, let me just uh, make a little closure on this one first, and that is as follows. Now, when you when you complete a step, which means... You now have all the vowels under every word that you need in that step, and you have the translation of the words, and you have the explanation. So the step is complete, right? Yes. So you want to make sure always that you can go back to the Mishnah without the help of the sheets, all right? And this one you don't have to memorize verbatim. The way a word is pronounced with its vowels, you have to know. There's no wiggle room. That's the way it is. It is what it is. And the way a word is translated is no wiggle room. It is what it is. But as far as this is concerned, you really go over this one or two or three times, however much it takes for you just to get the idea. And then you can really say it in your own words, as long as you're just saying exactly what it says over here. This you don't have to memorize verbatim, okay? But as far as the translation and the pronunciation of the word, that there's, you have to get. All right. So you do what we do here with the words first, then the translation of the words, then the comprehension. Then you have to go be able to go back to the Mishnah and read it through the Mishnah like it's your old friend. Because now you have all the things that you need. So you should be able to read it, translate it, and explain it perfectly without a mistake. And then you know that you have that step and you're ready to move on to the next one. All right? Okay, good. Um, okay, that was one thing. Now, the next thing I just wanted to point out was something that we, an issue that we raised at the end last time. I don't know if you remember or not, so I'll remind you. But what we, we asked is like this. It says in all of these ten cases, there's one ruling between all of them, which is that you're allowed to keep them. All of these ten examples, you're allowed to keep them, right? So obviously, somehow, the way I explained it to you before, these ten cases must be outside the parameters of whatever the Torah says, because the Torah says you have to return lost objects. And here's ten cases where you're allowed to keep the lost object, right? So there must be something about these ten cases that whatever the Torah wants you to do, it says in these cases, don't worry about it. This is outside, right? Now, the question is like this. Are we looking at ten examples, right? We're looking at ten examples of cases. Interesting cases, scattered fruit, scattered money, blah, 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 blah. All these cases. Are these the only ten cases in, 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 in the world that a person would be allowed to keep? No. Of course not. There's billions of cases or more, right? So the question is, why did the author of this mission pick 10 cases? So one reason might be because, you know, he wants to get us up and running and convinced, you know. Sometimes if, like when you're, you, when you're reviewing the words, sometimes if you review the word once, you know it. But if you review it 10 times, you know it even better. So he's giving, the more cases he gives us, the more he's reinforcing the concept of whatever it is that he wants to, t- t- to teach, right? But, how, but why not 20? But then the question is, why not 20? Or why not 1? Or why not 2? Because these 10 probably, probably have some exclusive aspect that each, one, each individual one has, the other one does not have, and they're kind of, a, a, kind of a, uh, an outline of, there's underneath, underneath each one. These are the 10 categories, basically. 
Okay, in other words, you're, you're saying it's not just reinforcement. They, it's they, not just reinforcement. These present ten different, ten, ten specific situations okay. that, that from which we can glean all the other situations. Okay, um, so that's a theory. Now we have to see if you're right or wrong. Because one theory is we put on the table is reinforcement. This theory is there's no, there's no reinforcement, but everything has what to, to, to give. Okay? So is there any way that we can know which way? Yeah, you want to have Does a different it, way? I just want to make sure we're not heading the, the confused path. Is, is Mishnah use reinforcement as a tool? We'll find okay, that's what I'm going to say right now. That's what we're about, right, right, right about to explain right now. So is there any way to prove who's right and who's wrong? So, yeah. First of all, <coughs> there's no real difference between scattered fruit and scattered money. Right. So that would seem to reinforce so which interpretation then? Well, that would reinforce the reinforcement. Reinforcement <laughs> interpretation. You don't need two examples to come up with scattered stuff. Good. Well, but, but 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 money and fruit scattered. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that the Gemara can give us plenty of, of differences between money and. Fruit. Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, you know, he's got a good point. Scattered, On the surface, it looks the same. Buttons. Which one right. does that fit under? Scattered right. money or scattered fruit? Well, let's we'll find out. No, no, no. So you're still theorizing, but but he, what he's saying is up front when you look at it, that doesn't seem, right. you know, you gave me the example of scattered already. Right. Tell me fruits, tell me money, tell me buttons. You don't have to tell me fruits and buttons. Well, unless right. there's a different aspect. Unless there's a different aspect, but why would there be a different aspect? Right. Yeah, we're fine. Uh, ten digits and a set of debris. Nice. What do you want to say with that? Well, the ten would fit. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's nice. That is beautiful. In other words, uh, ten is a magical number in the Chumash. Right. Yes. So maybe the Tana likes to, to use magical numbers. Uh, just on a little side, we do find that sometimes, by the way. I'll tell you where. You know, it's a very interesting place. If you look in uh, the seventh <laughs> chapter of, of Mesech the Shabbos, uh, I think it's the third Mishnah, it lists over there the 39 Ovis Malachis, if you ever learned that, the 39 Malachis, okay? And um, if you look in the Mishnah over there, it doesn't say 39. What does it say? 10. 40 minus 1. Uh, 39. Right, well, it's 39. So say 39. What, where is this 40 minus 1? Our boy Chosrachas. Why does it use that expression? Is it four sets of 10? That's well, it's 40 minus 1, but it's 39. So it's three sets of 13, but why does it say 40, 40 minus 1? Obviously, there's a, they don't, the stressing is not 40. The stressing is not, it's not the complete number of 40, it's, 30, it's less than 40. So it's, so I think there, there might be a concern that that 39 might make you assume 40, but it's really saying, no, it's 40 <coughs> minus 1. I'm just giving it a Okay, guess. okay, all right. Well, maybe I guess maybe there's 40, 40, but there, there's one also that kind of doesn't really belong there. But if you count them up, there's 39. Well, they list all 39 afterwards, it's 39. But it, 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 there is a category for everything else, and that's kind of like 40, so you... So okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, and it's good theory. They do the same thing with lashes. <coughs> oh, watch it, tell me it's wonderful. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Lashes? People get 40 lashes, they give them 39. Ah. Okay, good. So where does that come from? Right. When, when we talk, if you ever learn Masech Tamakis, that's another tractate, talks about the laws of giving lashes. Mm -hmm. So it always mentions Arboyim, 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 Malkas Arboyim. There's no such thing as 40. You're not allowed to give 40 lashes. Max is 39. So why is it called 40? So the answer is, because if you look in the Pasuk that talks about lashes, 
in the Chumash, it says 40. Yeah. However, because of the way that it's written, we make a certain uh, 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 exposition on the Pasuk, and we learn out that the 40 over there means the number that ends in 40, which is 39. It's by putting the last word of one Pasuk together with the first word of the other Pasuk and putting them together. The Gemara makes the drusha. But anyway, so how, what's the total way of saying uh, uh, 39? 40, 40 minus 1. Once it's coined in the Torah, oh. even though it's lashes, nothing to do with Shabbos. Nothing. And it doesn't even apply the reason that it says over that way to Shabbos. But now that becomes the expression, the used expression to say 39 is 40 minus 1. Right? So I'm just trying to say, Ephraim, that you see sometimes that we take a certain thing and that becomes a pattern. Now we use it all over the place. Whenever you want to say 40, uh, 39, the way to say it in, in Torah language is 40 minus 1 because they did it one place like that. Okay? So Sarah said, Debro, so maybe 10 examples. Okay, beautiful. Okay, but that's not really the, what's going on over here. And I'll prove it to you why. Yeah, I'll prove to you. Because otherwise we could just say whatever we want. If you take a look at the... I might have mentioned this. If you take a look at the first Mishnah in the next chapter, after the one we're learning, so uh, it's a totally different subject altogether. But over there in the Mishnah, it, it talks about uh, a certain halacha, and it gives two examples. Somebody who makes his friend a watchman on something... And, he, and, he, and the example given is either he gave him an animal or he gave him vessels, blah, 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 blah. Okay? First question of the Gemara. What in the world is going on? Why are you giving me two examples for? What do you have to give me two? Just say behema, just say kalim, just say animal, just say vessels, and I can learn out one for the other. So the Gemara over there is getting all nervous from the fact that it said two. And here we have ten, and there's no Gemara that asks that question over here. And over there it's getting nervous. Why too? So by the fact that the Gemara over there is upset with the fact that Rabbi Nasi in the Mishnah is giving two, so what do you see from there? Reinforcement or do you see something else? Something else. There must be something. <clears throat> in other words, in order to, be, to get into a Mishnah as an example, you have to have a ticket to get in. And if, if it's just a repeat, out. There's no such thing as reinforcing and this and that. There's no room for that. This is Torah Shabbat It's not even supposed to be written down, but they wrote it down because people forget, so they shrink it as much as possible. It's very, very, very cryptic. And, it, you know, and that's the way it was written. So you don't get more than you're going to get. So you get one example and that's it. So the Gemara over there asks, if it said Behemo, and it, wouldn't, it would only say Behemo, let's pretend, cover up Caleb. Just read the Mishnah with Behemo and whatever the ruling is. And someone comes up to you and says, now what would the Mishnah hold by vessels in the same thing? We say, of course it's the same thing. Okay, so why did he have to say Caleb? But he's reinforcing her. Who cares? So he gave two examples. No, we don't go that way. Mm-hmm. You get what you need and that's it. So you see that the Mishnah is cryptic and you're not going to get more than one example. But here, how many examples are there altogether? Um, ten. Why ten? Why ten? Give one. And, 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 if, and like Shmuley said, give 20. You know, why, why do you stop at 10? So the answer is, to this is, that in or, like we said, in order to get into a Mishnah, you need a <coughs> ticket to get in. You need a ticket to get in. What's the ticket? What's one ticket to get in? You're different than the rest. Distinct attribute. What, what? Distinct attribute. You're a distinct concept. Okay, you good. Have, good, good, good. You have something. Good, good. 
So one ticket to get in, and this is the primary ticket to get in, is that Mishnayis don't speak in rules. They speak in cases. Did you notice that? It gives you cases, and from the cases we're supposed to extrapolate the rule. So if it speaks in cases, what they're going to do is they're going to pick the case that best illustrates whatever rule that they want to tell you. But they're not going to tell you the rule. They're going to tell you the case. Okay? So the best ticket to get in is uh, you're needed in this Mishnah. If you're the best representative of the rule that needs to be extrapolated, that's a good ticket to get in. Okay? However, let's say there's a case that really, really typifies the rule. And it's there and it's good. Okay? So now, it should stop there, but there's more cases. Why? So another ticket to get in is, even if I know the rule, not necessarily what I realize that that belongs in that rule. Even if I know the rule. I might just pass right by that other thing and say, well, I know the rule, but not him. But let's say that thing really is included in the rule also. That's another ticket to get in. Not just to establish the rule, but once the rule is established... Maybe I wouldn't know that that thing should be included in the rule altogether. That's another ticket to get in. So that's a clarification of something that's Yes, necessary. yes. You might, you might leave out of, of a... It's, it's expounding. Even knowing the rule, you might it's not It's expounding know. of the rule, sort of. Would it's you say it's uh, uh, sort of, sort of, yeah, sort of clarifying the parameters yeah. of the rule. Good. And another ticket to get in, but this is very, very rare, another ticket to get in is called the Sci- Siamese Twin Ticket. What does it mean, the Siamese twin ticket? They always go together. Some, some expressions just always go together. You just can't separate them. Okay? So therefore, on rare occasions, if it mentions that, it'll mention that all, uh, together with it because they're always mentioned together. To such a degree, we have this rule that sometimes even if it doesn't belong there, it'll put it in there anyway because these guys are always attached to each other. It's not that it doesn't belong there because it's wrong. But it doesn't belong to, let's say, for example, the one that comes to my mind is that there's a certain mission, the first mission of Sechtamakis brings an expression of two, uh, it gives some examples of stuff, and it gives two examples of something, and it's trying to prove to me certain cases uh, uh, from the Torah about uh, 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 the laws of plotting witnesses, whatever it's talking about over there. Right? In this particular case, this is the ruling of plotting witnesses according to the Torah. Then it sticks in another case which has the same rule, but it's not from the Torah, it's only from the Rabbonah. So it's really there, but it's not for the same principle that's being there. But it's right there with the Mishnah, only because, since they're the same, and these two guys are always found together, so therefore they stuck it in as well. So that's another ticket to get in, but that one's pretty rare. Okay? Siamese twin reasons. So, so you got these three reasons. Yeah. One is to typify the rule, one is to show us that that thing is also in the rule, and then the Siamese twin thing. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's look over here. What we, so uh, we're not going to go through each one, but in general, if we have ten cases over here, obviously what? One of them is? A rule. Rule, and the rest must be? Except, uh, one of the exceptions that you might... Or clarifying the parameters of the rule. Okay. Or in other words... Okay, uh, or, I mean, it could be more than, more than one of them could be a rule. Why, why is only one of them a rule? Well, they all have the same ruling, which is Harley Shalom. It's just the same ruling. You mean to say there could be different reasons for the rule? Right. Uh, okay, that could be. It happens to be over here that there's the, it's the same reason for all time. Yeah, so the other nine are ones you might assume don't fall in this rule. Exactly. I'll show you right away. You'll see right away. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. what is the rule? Let's talk about that first. What is the rule that we're looking at over here? In other words, 
When I find the lost object, I have to return it. Right? Here it says I don't have to return it. What's the rule? Why don't I have to return it? And by the way, it's the thread. It's the same rule over and over in all these cases, one after the other. What is the rule? So it's a magical word called? Yeyush. Yeyush means giving up hope. Yeyush, which means like this. If I find a lost object, and we're going to talk about this, but when I find a lost object, I have to return it to my brother, provided that it still belongs to him. Let's say before I found it, it stopped belonging to him. Now, how could it stop belonging to him? He gave up he, hope. Right, of, he made it hefker. He made it ownerless. Expecting to retrieve it. Exactly. So that's called yeush. So if he gives up hope from expecting to retrieve it, the halachic ramification of that is that it becomes hefker. Hefker means ownerless, right? So the Torah says you have to return the lost object of your brother as long as it belongs to your brother. But if you made it ownerless, it doesn't belong to him anymore. So therefore, if you find that thing, so what's the ruling? You're allowed to keep it, right? Okay, that's one example, yeah? What if he gave up, but there's a simon? Even if there's a simon on it, but he would definitely give up hope on it, you'd be allowed to keep it too. Good question. Usually not, but if you would know that he would give up hope, you would be allowed to keep it. But you'd have to know that for sure. Okay? But there's a simon on it, you might, not, you might never give up hope. I mean, right, that's what he's saying. If there's a simon, you might not give up hope. Right. But there are some rare occasions that even with a simon, a person would give up hope. Okay. If it's found in the ocean and it has a simon, it's still... We're looking at one of them right here in this mission. One of these examples is right here in the mission. You know which one? Number three. Small bundles of wheat in a public place. Okay? Now, if small bundles of wheat in a public place is going to be discussed more later on, it's really, but what the Gemara says over there is, these small bundles of wheat that he found, did they have a sign or they didn't have a sign on them? They did. So it's a dispute in the Gemara, but we'll go with the one that says it does have a sign. Now, what's the normal ruling if you find something with a sign on it? You have to return it. Why? Because the person who put the sign on it could, could possibly come back and claim it. Because, it, in other words, the, the, the bottom line is, what's the mindset of the owner if you find it with a sign? Even though you don't know who the owner is. But you know, predictably, he didn't give up hope. If he didn't give up hope, it's still his. If it's still his, you've got to return it. Okay, good. So, therefore, that's the rule with the simon, right? But, sometimes, people are a little bit pessimistic on their thing, even with a sign, if they lose it, let's say, in a public place. Now, you have to realize, in those days, a public place is even worse than the one-on-one freeway during rush hour. Even worse. Animals and people and carts and wagons and so everything was going through there the whole day, right? So how's it worse? Huh? So how's it worse than this next thing? Smell. How is it worse? Because it was, it was most of the day and the rush hour is only like a couple hours a day. <laughs> but, it, but it was really bad. Okay, so you, you had all these things over. So somebody loses something with a sign. And then he goes to look for it, and he knows he was on the Rashut Sarabim, and there it's not. It's not there anymore. He says, oh, no, I lost thing. He'll give up hope even with a sign. Because he thinks that since it was lost on the Rashut Sarabim, and it's low down to the ground, he says, for sure, my sign was trampled into smithereens, and I'll never give it back. And his mindset will be pessimist to give up hope, and therefore the finder is allowed to keep it. Keep it. Now, guess what? When you found it, guess what? It was still intact. And the sign was still on there. But it doesn't make a difference. The main thing always traces back to what is the owner thinking? That's what we got to know. 
So usually, if there's a sign, we assume that the guy didn't give up hope. But there are certain instances where we know that if even with a sign, the guy would give up hope. That's number three. So if you if, if you find small bundles of wheat even with a sign on them in a public place, even though it has a sign, we can assume that the mindset of an owner would be to give up hope, pessimist, and therefore you would be allowed to keep that. Also, but what it has a qualifier. But you, don't, but you don't know... Yes, yes, it has to so, be something so, that might get so, trampled. So the, the owner probably is not going to even want to go back and, and check on it because it's not going to be really worthwhile. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, th- that's not the factor that's being used over here. It's small. Uh, it, it, it's only, small is only because then it's likely to get trampled. Because if it's something that's a little larger, so then the person doesn't go over it, he goes around it, so the guy might still be an optimist then. Right? But you don't know whether he gave up hope or not, so you, so you have to go and ask him if he. But uh, good question. You have to go and ask him. But the problem is, maybe he's. You don't know who he is. If you know who he is, give it back to him. Don't ask any questions. It's his. So you don't know who he is. So if you don't know who he is, maybe he did give up hope, or maybe he didn't give up hope. So it says on the bundle of wood. It says it belonged to Aaron Ben Shmuel. That uh, well, good, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a sign. A sign could be a pink ribbon if nobody puts pink ribbons on their bundles of wheat. If nobody puts pink ribbon, you don't know who the owner is. Now, if it says Aaron Ben Shmuel, and there are three Yeah, if it down, says Aaron Ben Shmuel, and, and now to go to each... Yeah, that's something else. But let's say well, we're not limiting our discussion only to such a sign like that, where it says name, address, phone number, and email. We're not talking about that, although that would be great. That's a real good sign. But what we're talking about here is even if it has a distinguishing sign on it, something that normal people don't do. Right. Now, so the question is, but you don't know who it belongs to. Ah. All right, so the, the, we don't have to learn the whole chapter all at once tonight, but all these things are going to be discussed as we go along, and they're fascinating. Every single one of them is amazing, but uh, that's going to be discussed too. As far as Shmuley's question about you don't know the mindset of the owner, that's going to be discussed as well. So we'll leave it for the Gemara, but it's really an amazing thing there as well. But anyway... So I just wanted to show you like this. Scattered, let's, let's say scattered money. Scattered money. Does money have an identifiable sign on it? No. no. So therefore, if a guy, scattered. What does scattered, by the way, indicate? How did the money get there? Spread out. How did it get there, though? It fell. He lost. It it's lost money. So somebody lost money. Okay, you're looking at somebody who lost money. It dropped. Okay, doesn't have a sign on it. What will be the mindset of the owner? Lost of hope. He's going to give up hope. So therefore, what, what, what's going to be the ruling? Keep it. You're allowed to keep it. Okay, so that's a perfect example to typify the rule. Okay? Now, you notice I start with number two instead of number one. There's a reason for that, too. But that's why we start with number two. So number two did a great job of making the rule. Okay, so now you know the rule. What's the rule? Keep it. If you find something and the owner's going to give up hope because there's no sign on it, you're allowed to keep it. Now, well, the question what? is like this. One second. The question is like this. What do you mean there's no sign on it? It was a quarter and a nickel. What's wrong with that? I know it was a quarter and a nickel, so what's wrong with that? You don't know what belongs what if two to people, What if two people lost a quarter and a nickel? Because, so, in other words, when we're talking about signs being reliable or not reliable, what's the whole point of a sign? What is the to- point of a sign? It's a lie detector test, right? If you, I don't show it to you. I say, give me the sign. If you can give me the sign, that's a proof that it's yours. Then I'm allowed to give it back to you. So it has to be something that uh, you know, somebody goes, I found eggs. Oh, it was a dozen. Okay, here you go. That's a, that's a crummy sign to say that it was a dozen eggs. Because, well, of course it's a dozen eggs. That's, anybody could guess that, right? My goldfish would know the same thing. So I'm saying that it, and what makes a sign reliable or not reliable? So the more uh, uh, diverse it is and the less common it is, that makes it a good sign. The more common it is, 
waters it down, it's not a good sign. We have to know cutoff points, but that's really generally. So money for sure is what? It's very not conclusive. Now there's no proof at all that it's yours, and therefore you wouldn't be allowed to keep it. Okay, now you know the rule? Mm-hmm. Something without a sign, and you even know why it's not a sign, because it's not diverse enough, so it's not good enough, it's not proof enough, so the owner knows that, and he won't get it back, and he gives up hope, so you're allowed to keep it. Okay, now. What? Now I have a question I want to ask you. What would be if somebody's walking along the str- and, and he finds purple dyed wool? What's the halacha there? Well, it looks like a sign. It's purple. Then When's the last time you ever saw some purple dyed wool? Never. And how about tongues of purple dyed wool? Never. Never, Never ever. So I would say, even if I knew the rule, I might not realize what? That that belongs to that rule. So now you see, that's another ticket to get in. Purple dyed wool. Even though we knew the rule, it had to mention the case. This is two examples, but it had to mention the case of purple dyed wool also, because even knowing the rule, I would never realize that that belongs to the rule. So in those days, purple dyed wool was common enough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as common as, as, as what? It wasn't as common as money, but it was common enough, because you have to know, where, when we say common, where do you draw the line? Here's common, here's not common. But there's all this stuff in the middle. So does common have to be, in other, in other words, does common, in order to take away the sign, have to be the, the, the most common, and a step below that is considered already a good sign? Or where do I draw the line? Or maybe I go the opposite direction? That's why I need this Mishnah. Because the Mishnah draws the lines for me and says, purple dyed wool? Well, that's not as common as money, right. But it's common enough that it made it into the category of considered common, and therefore the halacha would be that you're allowed to keep it. Is he I have a question. Door? Is he the last one in the door with purple dye wool? He's the last one made it in? Um, that's the most specific that we go? Not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Rabbi, I'm sorry, Shuli, yeah. I have a question. What if, you, what if you find a wallet, no simon? Can you keep it? If you find a wallet with no simon? No simon. It's mine, actually. Yeah, you're allowed to keep it. <laughs> For sure you would be allowed to keep it. Because <coughs> the next Mishnah, which talks about things that you have to announce, does talk about a wallet. And it says that the reason why you have to announce it is because wallets have signs. Ah. So if you find a wallet without a sign, obviously the ruling is pretty clear that you would be allowed to keep it. Nice. Okay? And there's other factors if you find it in a Jewish neighborhood or a non-Jewish neighborhood and a lot of other things too. Okay, good. All right, so um, what I would like you to do for next time is to practice this step, okay? Now we have all the parts of the step. So we're just going to start off very briefly on Sunday, just going to read through it again. So we're going to read it, translate it, explain it clearly, and then move on, Mitchum, to the next thing. All right? All right, everyone should have a great Shabbos, Mitchum.